It is actually about the world that we live in and, and the risk that we put at the planet when we eliminate certain brain types, certain thinking types out of society, right? These people who are going to challenge the status quo. These people are going to challenge politicians. You're listening to episode 27 of the Happy Space podcast. And today we're looking at the undeniable value of neurodiversity with neurodiversity advocate, Theo Smith. Welcome to the Happy Space Podcast, where productivity meets inclusivity and everyone gets things done. Hello, I'm Claire Kumar, highly sensitive executive coach, speaker, and your host. Studies show that diversity leads to better business outcomes. So doesn't it make sense to invite everyone's richest contribution? Yet too many people are invited to burn out or opt out, and we are squandering talent. On this show, we'll explore a two-part solution. Part one, cultivating sustainable performance, the individual design of work and life to preserve our energy so we can keep contributing. And two, designing inclusive performance, the design of spaces, cultures, products, and services which invite the richest participation. I hope you enjoy these conversations and find inspiration and encouragement for everyone deserves a happy space. ADHD has become a hot topic in recent months with growing awareness and hopefully understanding of what it can mean. I've had experience with this through close family members, through clients over the years, and through study, through my affiliation with organizing uh, associations such as the Institute for Challenging Disorganization and also the National Association of Productivity and organizing professionals and professional organizers in Canada. It comes up a lot as we found clients struggling with chronic disorganization. Sometimes there were executive function challenges as well. Whole lot of reasons why that happens. Anyway, that's a sidebar. I've, I've been looking at it for a long time. I see the immense value of the ADHD mind. For example, look at episode 19 with Peter Shankman, uh, who wrote The Boy with the Faster Brain. And uh, also the struggles, you know, we're, the world is not designed and the systems of education and uh, policies and government, all kinds of places are not designed for the ADHD mind to thrive. I learned about Theo Smith through his work with Amanda Kirby and their book, Neurodiversity at Work. I'm showing it right here if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, and if you want to uh, actually always have some extra vis audio visual input to go along with the podcast, definitely check out our channel on YouTube where you can find every episode and the video treatment where you get to meet the guest a little more intimately and also you see some of the images and footage we, we add in to support the show. Okay, sidebar, definitely sidebar. Clearly, I'm feeling um, like my brain is firing and going in lots of different directions. But coming back to Theo and why I'm so happy to have a conversation with him. So not only did he uh, create this incredible, robust reference tool for neurodiversity at work with Amanda Kirby, I've been paying to, uh, attention to what Theo says ever since. You can hear him on LinkedIn. You could listen to his podcast, which is Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite and Enabling, or Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes all together. Uh, again, looking at the strengths and what gets in our way. He is the founder as well of Neurodiversity at Work, uh, which you'll find at neurodiversityworld.com. He is uh, advocating in a, in a strong place of advocacy for a better world for those with neurodivergent minds. He's a real proponent of the value of neuro neurodiversity, and that is what we are talking about today. We had a really animated conversation about what him to the, brought him to this place of advocacy for ADHD and neurodiversity in general and why it's so very necessary. Tune in to find out what role his parents played, how Theo suggests we think about language in this space around neurodiversity and in general. I love his lessons here, his insights. And hey, what should we take away from the fact that the Mexican tetra fish evolved to lose its eyes? You're going to love this one and meeting Theo. Enjoy. 
Theo Smith, what a pleasure to have you joining me. I've been following you work, your work for a long time. And as you can see behind me, your book, Neurodiversity at Work, lives there because I think it's such a powerful, powerful work and invitation for people to consider neurodiversity at work. I mean, we're, if we're neurodivergent, we're everywhere. So thank you for joining me first and feel welcome. I feel really welcome. Thank you. It's been a lovely uh, introduction. And uh, thank you so much uh, for mentioning the book. Um, I mean, we can talk a bit more about it, but ultimately, for somebody who failed or was failed by the education system, mm. to be able to create something like that, I can't even explain to you. Um, it's an out-of-body experience for many reasons, um, but a privilege to have been able to experience it with somebody incredible like um, Amanda Kirby as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The two of you, a powerful combination. Absolutely. I wanted to begin with an understanding of how you came to be in such a position of well, the privilege as part of it and being able to manage, you know, and be successful navigating with ADHD. But what drives you now to be an advocate in this space for a greater understanding of neurodiversity in the world? So it's a long story that I will try and keep super short um, to keep people's attention. Ultimately, I struggled in school. Um, I failed in, in many instances. Uh, I was dropping out of school. And also, I, you know, I, I barely took any qualifications. I didn't turn up for exams. I'd yeah. already excluded myself from that environment because I didn't fit in and, and I struggled academically. However, and this is the interesting thing. Maybe this is why I now see so much potential and opportunity for individuals who've been marginalized or system impacted just because of the way their brain works. I was succeeding outside of school. My mum worried about the trouble that I was getting into. Both my parents went to university in later life, but both of them came from very working class backgrounds, both lost family members at a very young age that impacted their lives. So their view. And, and perception of the world, and they were and are huge activists um, for others. Uh, so there, there is some evidence there in terms of the way that I grew up, the people who sat around the table. Yeah. Um, my dad was a um, chairman for the anti-apartheid movement in South Wales. So it, it, like the types of people I used to have sitting around what was a very humble table in a house from a very early age, allowed me to get an experience of people who really, really cared about the work that they did. And when I talk about work, I'm not talking about the job that you go and do to get paid for. I'm talking about the work that you do to support others, the work that you do to um, enable people's rights, the work that you do to create uh, equality in a world that is not equal um, and to find equity where there is often none. So that started from a very, very early age for me. So even though I was failing at school, even though I had problems with drink and drugs and everything else, my base was one of activism. My base was one of, of highly academically brilliant minds. I say academically, they, they may as well not always have been academically in the sense that they had the qualifications or paper, mm -hmm. but they had the respect of the community that they served, which I put far more value on. So those early experiences, even though I was lost for a while, ultimately I was privileged and lucky enough to have come from a foundation of care, compassion, um, and of um, social conscience. Uh, and therefore, when I finally realized that my life was in a critically negative point, I, at that point, was just near to turning 21. And because the success I'd had outside of school was in drama, was like my therapy so my mum got me involved in community drama because yeah. I was having trouble with speech and language and writing I couldn't write I couldn't spell I was getting I attracted even at a young age from class to do other stuff like baking while other kids were doing maths and so uh, you know that became very difficult and but the drama became this space of therapy where mm. I could express these thoughts these feelings this aggression um, this feeling of exclusion where nobody was judging me. Actually, people were revering and respecting my approach and my work because of what I brought to the table was not like anybody else. 
I was maybe odd. I was strange. I had these views and this level of aggression and frustration that came through in a way that was um, very interesting for other people. I found this something they wanted to see more of. And therefore that gave me this a route that allowed me to become the representative of Wales for the National Association of Youth Theatres. This is at the same time I'm not turning up at school. Wow. I'm representing youth theatres across the whole of the United Kingdom of Wales. I'm, I, was, I was performing to royalty, going to London. All these things, you, you see this kind of disconnection between this troubled young boy who won't turn up and won't do what he's told to and is not accessing education through this other person who's doing very well. And at the point where I, at 21, wondered what I was doing with my life, I applied to universities as a mature student and didn't need the qualifications I didn't have because I was a mature student right. and therefore I could get in on that basis as somebody who was underprivileged, who was struggling for somewhere to live and everything. Else. And all that gave me access to go to university to study wow. drama. That was a moment of transformation in my life. Uh, I, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. There are so many things to pick up on in that. Uh, I want to just give a nod to this incubation in an environment of activism, because I've been looking a lot at, you know, the, the neurodivergent community notices a lot, we, but not everybody is comfortable speaking up. And I've been looking into that. I'm going to interview somebody else and just got a book coming up uh, in October, Speak Up Culture, to, to see if we can't incubate a bit more of this. And I think it has to do with what you see modeled and, you know, being brave enough to find your voice. And I'm hoping that listeners are hearing that when you feel passionately about something, it's a perfectly wonderful place to be. It comes with its challenges, which we can probably talk about too, but you stick your neck out and you've got to be a bit brave to do it. But I think this incubation, I, I feel blessed too. My parents were both speak up people. Uh, and my dad, I just learned recently talking to my mom a couple of weeks ago that my dad, uh, when he was a doctor in England, and I'm, I was born in England, by the way, so have a UK connection going on. Yeah, um, he noticed that doctors were in serial days on call, twenty four hours at a time, and he believed that it was dangerous for the patients. He spoke up. He was fired. He ended up leaving England because of race issues and so on, feeling like he was just not. He was excluded from the system. So. I like that you also said, you know, you were failing at school or the school system failed you as it is failing many, many students in many, many ways, even at the junior level and post-secondary as well. So um, I, I'd love to pick up on this point. It's not on my list of questions, but I love this conversation. As you were navigating and finding a path back to education, uh, there's ADHD in my family as well. So I've, I've witnessed a student journey to some extent. And the research that I've seen says that the ADHD brain develops cognitive executive function, emotional regulation, all of these things lag compared to the average mind. Um, and what struck me about what you were saying, I was able to go later in life. The requirements were less where, how do you think you were more ready? And did that have a factor to play in being really ready to learn and, and dive into this area that you were, or, or was it just, oh, you just found the right thing and age and maturity wouldn't have mattered? What do you think? Today's episode of the Happy Space podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. With sensitivity, curiosity, and courage, I serve three groups asking the tough questions that lead to meaningful answers. Number one, I coach ambitious leaders to design for well-being and achieve next-level work-life integration. Number two, I mic drop thought bombs, that's bombs as in B-A-L-M-S, in keynotes and workshops, helping organizations achieve the business imperative that is inclusivity. And three, I collaborate with brands concerned with respect for well-being on product design, marketing, and PR. If any of this piqued your interest, come find me at clairekumar.com. I'd love to speak with you. 
Designing inclusive performance together will lead to the richest results. Mm, right. This is this is fascinating. This is a rabbit hole of a conversation, but a good one. So there's a, my mind is going to race off here, but there's a yeah. few things that I want to call out. One that's really important is co-occurrence. Mm-hmm. And that, so my daughter, after five years of, um, I say fighting because that's what it feels like, because to get a diagnosis here in the UK, you go through the NHS, the National yeah. Health Service, yeah. and there's a process and there's lots of forms. And it took us four years to get my daughter's ADHD, uh, sorry, autism diagnosis came first. We saw the ADHD first. We didn't see the autism, but that's because even me, somebody who's involved in it so much, yeah. Yeah. We, I'm still thinking of lining up cars and, and knowing all the names of planets and, and being able, and so I'm thinking of the male view and perception because that's what the forms say. They've got all right. these lists of like, does your child do this? Well, no, they don't. Do they do that? No, they don't. However, when you start to really, and it's difficult for a mind like mine, because I go to the, like, I don't see the nuance in it. I, because of the activism, I'm going, I can't lie. I can't lie on a form. So I'm, I'm not able to get over the hill of going, it's not lying. It's right. form doesn't express the experience and view of my child. Therefore, how do I demonstrate that? So that co-occurrence piece is that we still segment it into boxes, which I, I find really difficult because we have one brain. I put two things up there, but we have one brain. We have one brain, but we have many brain cells. Yes. And this idea and concept that um, we, we fit people into this box of ADHD or whatever is wrong, right? It's wrong because it doesn't fully uh, express and explain what's going on in the human brain. And therefore, my daughter, that, that puts up barriers to the diagnosis, but we need the diagnosis to get the support because her mental health and well-being is being significantly impacted even at the age of four and five. She's now 10. Yeah. Um, and and so, so you're in this desperate situation of having to accept labels put upon you um, and, and other people's medical terminology and stuff that defines you and other people's views of, of being slower cognitively to develop and what have you. When, when really... Like that is a measure that's put upon us by other people. So when we, exa- when we put people through exams, what are we doing? We're measuring their, their intellect and their capability based on a number of factors. If they fail that measurement, then cognitively they're developing slower. But why, why, is, it, why is it that developing cognitively slower in that idea and concept is yeah. a bad thing? It, it's not. It's something yeah. that's enforced upon us by society, by this idea that we need to progress at a particular time in, in space. Whereas you look at different com- countries yeah. in the world, sometimes they don't send their kids to school until they're six. If we look in the Nordics, sometimes they send their kids to school at four. Sometimes, like the evidence is there in some respects, it's not in others. So, and then it's how we perceive and interpret the evidence to make the decisions that we make. So, yes. You know, to come back to the answer to your question, yes, for me, going to university at that point was the right time for me. And yes, meeting my life partner who I met in my second year of the degree was the right time to meet her because if she, she's academically brilliant, if she met me when I was still smoking and still taking drugs and still drinking and fighting and, and doing all the things that I would have a negative impact on my mental health and well-being, she met me at that point. We would not have even gone anywhere. We would not have been in the same space, place, connected, right? Mm. That doesn't mean that on a human level, we cannot connect. It's just where I was at that point in my life wouldn't allow me to be with her where she was at that point in her life. Yeah. What do we think about as human beings that we, that that means I should never be with her? That that means I should never go to university? That that, like... Yeah. You can see where we can go with this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling like that was not the right question and was not well phrased. I'm I'm thinking, I guess the the it's finding the systems and places and environments that invite this diversity of brain to function. And 
I'm, I'm thinking back to my sister now in, in grade nine, brilliant, creative person, the most wild sculptor, painter, dancer. She was told, you know, we think you should go into remedial math. She came like second in the school on the math contest. She had a different way of coming at things that the normal classroom couldn't see. She'd get to the answer a different way. She would have perceived to be unsuccessful, invited to be in a you know, lower challenge per se. Brilliant, brilliant mind. So yeah, so I think I, I retract my question <laughs> because I really don't like it now. Uh, but I think that is a perception that's out there. And I think maybe what I wanted to do in, in raising that question was perhaps invite not to look at the system as it's designed, go to high school or first, first to sixth form, I think in the UK, and then do your exams and then go off to school. Maybe take the time to find the place you can thrive and go for that. So look for, look for ways you can be successful, places you can be successful. So absolutely right. Um, the problem and challenge that we have is when you exist within an education system that doesn't fit your needs, when you are, are told by other people that your thinking is not correct, it's not accurate, it's not in line, it's not the way that it should be. Mm. It, when you are told that enough, it's really, really difficult then to know who you are, how you should feel, how you should take the mask off or keep the mask like th that it, it is confusing. So when you have yeah. young people coming out of education who may not have the academic qualifications of others, therefore their choices are already limited. They don't come out of school or college going, wow, I've got all these choices. When I came out, it was like I had to take whatever job was available. And often yes. they were toxic companies, toxic cultures, and they were toxic jobs. I had no choice. I had to put, I had to be able to feed myself. Like the, so the, I couldn't go, I don't want to work for that particular sales type of organization that's selling these things that I don't, I, I like that the choice was not, I needed a job and I need it now. Yeah. And the problem we've got, if we think about 85% approximately of people who are autistic with a diagnosis in the UK at out of work, that's government data and stats. Those, that, those statistics are replicated in places like Canada and the US, right? Yeah. And COVID has not been helpful, right? So if you're looking at people who've already been marginalized, already been system impacted, they may have PhDs coming out of their ears, right? Or they may not. But the reality is, is they've got all these barriers that meant they couldn't select the environment that they wanted. They couldn't select the job they wanted. Therefore, they don't have the time to, to make the right decisions. And if they make decisions too quickly, they could find themselves in two or three toxic environments. The one damages their self-worth, yeah. self-respect, belief, um, understanding of their value, um, but also it gives them experience that looks awful. So, Theo, why have you worked for really terrible companies in terrible jobs and only lasted eight months in each of them? Right. Like, that doesn't say much oh. about your capability and your... And so we're looking at a, a good proportion of people who've already been marginalized, already been system impacted, already struggled. Where do they get the time to yeah. think? Where do they get the opportunity to make better decisions and then have those decisions presented to them? And that is why... I focus on organizations in the workplace because I've tried government. I've tried looking at the education system. It's painful. It's slow. It needs to change. But I can go and convince a CEO or a HR director tomorrow to change a system or a process that absolutely damages the people that are going through it. So powerful. I'm taking a breath just to let all that land because uh, it, it brought back a couple of flashbacks in my own career. I spent three days trying to tell sell shoes. I, three days. I couldn't handle standing. And um, this will be entertaining. Uh, I, and I don't know. It was a clash of styles. In a shoe store, when you go to buy shoes, you generally see a same kind of style of shoe presented with, there's one in brown, here's one in black, here's one in navy, right? Maybe the hot pink. But you don't see all the four colors split all over the all over the store. Well, the store that I was looking at working in 
there was no organization cohesion, no, nothing. And I was like, I first, first thing I do in a job apparently is create some order so my brain can cope. I don't know if you know my background. I, I spent a lot of time organizing with people uh, in their homes and in their offices in Canada. And so I'm known for applying structure. What's interesting is looking at it more deeply, there's a, um, an adaption innovation theory out of the UK, Dr. Michael Curtin. And he talks about our propensity to move towards structure or away from structure. And I always thought because I was so focused on order that, oh, I must be, I have such a propensity for order. I need it. Uh-uh. I'm this wild thinker on the creative side. It was a coping skill. So order and structure. And I've worked with a lot of clients over the years who've had, um, have ADHD or the, the label. The connection was to a job where I was not going to be successful. Three days and I was out. My most highly paid job was in Japan. I lasted three weeks. I left in tears because I, I couldn't connect to the social construct around work. We were four people in an office, two Japanese speakers, one uh, North American individual and me. And there was, it was like being there by myself. And I thought, I can't do this. I left in tears after three weeks with the highest paid job I've ever had. This is like, this is not, this is not set up for my brain to be successful. I'm out. So you're right. We have opportunities. And especially with this amazing sense of noticing and seeing, you know, there's, there's almost moral injury in working for a company that you don't, you're not value aligned. Value alignment is absolutely critical. And then the conditions of work need to be such that we can sustain our energy. And a lot of times we're just being invited to be exhausted and depleted. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't. Don't get to do that anymore. We need to be inviting these options, right? So awareness and room for people to really work at their best. So thank you for uh, outlining that somebody coming through, being othered, being made to feel different. And when you're a teenager, being different ain't cool. Maybe now I'm wondering if there's some shifting as TikTok and I, I'm not on TikTok. Maybe I should try, but the, um, I know neurodivergency is a hot topic there. And what do you think? Is there a shift around the messaging people are receiving around being neurodivergent and the potential impact on the shame that I see a lot of people carry and how it affects being able to talk about it? Wow. So TikTok has 22 billion views of the hashtag ADHD. 12 months ago, when I looked at that research, when I researched it, it was half that. In 12 months, it's gone from 21 billion to 22 billion views of the hashtag ADHD. Um, autism is, is around 20 billion, which is still considerable. Um, neurodiversity is like 3 billion. And bizarrely, dyslexia is like a billion or two. Um, even though, because probably dyslexia is more in the common language already. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that it's still not, um, a challenge for individuals around dyslexia and what have you, but, but it just means the, the topic's not as hot because it's not as new, right? It's not the trending topic. Very rarely do topics like trend forever. So, um, these two talks are trend. We've got a, we've got a, a challenge with both of these though. This week in the UK, there is. Um, or, or next week, there's a BBC documentary, Panorama, yeah. um, highlighting the, the issue that we have with companies making money yeah. from the crisis. Yeah. And the crisis is not people popping up with ADHD. That's not the crisis. The crisis is the lack of support and help to those who've not had the support that they needed, and especially during and since pandemic where people have been in severe crisis situations and that of their family members. Um, and, and we're talking about, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm mindful of, of people listening to this, that it, it may trigger something for them, but we're talking about um, life-changing um, moments here um, that can take lives, um, that can take um, lives of friends and people that they know. And that, that that level of impact that we've had since COVID and stuff is yeah. has, has destroyed communities and families and, and and 
the problem we've got now is that uh, organizations that are profiting on that, that don't have individuals' best needs at heart, and, and this is part of what's happening at the moment, um, so that we've, we've, I think we've got a rocky road here at the moment, but I truly believe we need to go through this part of the journey yeah. because that is where we come to the end point, which is beyond the trending topic, beyond all the videos, which I think have been positive because what they've done is they've normalized the conversation, which is really important. Yeah. When you normalize a, a conversation, people are not as fearful of having that conversation and those who are privileged to be able to have it do. And, yeah. they, and if we can start to explore these topics and talk about them and think about them and figure out what's right, what's wrong, what we like, what we don't like, and who is profiting that shouldn't be and how we're going to deal with that, um, then I think all of those things ultimately are for the good of the movement that is going to enable neuroinclusion within organizations, within education, within politics, um, within our, our built environments, um, which, which is where we need to get to, right? That is the thing. The reason, ask me at the beginning, the reason why I do what I do, I skipped a whole piece of my HR and recruitment and leadership experience. Yeah. Um, the reason why I do what I do is because I already saw that my daughter, I can put up with myself, right? I can, I can kind of survive. I have, you know, I've been in dark places and I came out of it. I'm alive. I'm here, right? But my daughter, that is, that is the place that I look back and think, if I am now my daughter, I go back to that place that I was at. I can see and feel and think of places yeah. that I was at that were negative. I'm able to intervene. I'm able to make a difference. And the way that I can make a difference is through organizations. The way that I make a difference is for her directly, for her, right? I can, that's something I can hyper-focus on. Mm -hmm. But what is beyond her? There's a whole world that we live in. It's not good enough that, you know, I, I fight for the, the single person that's in my household. That is important. And hopefully she will go on and fight for others. But it, there is a bigger world out there. So what really drives me is my daughter and yeah. my my trauma that I don't want my daughter to have to go through Perfect. so that she can become more successful more quickly, irrelevant of how quickly her, her mind cognitively, cognitively develops or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. like you have CEOs of 16 years of age who are ADHD or whatever, right? It's, it, it's because they were enabled to be able to do it yeah. rather than disabled from being able to work within a society that perhaps doesn't want to enable them doesn't it's too difficult to fit them in so that that is such a big motivator for me um and yeah. one that i think we can all get involved in whatever happens in the media or everything else we need to ride that storm i agree with you wholeheartedly i was just following on linkedin this morning some commentary on panorama and saying we need this there are going to be challenging conversations that come out of it but we need to evolve through this the awareness the increase in awareness is very valuable but voices like yours are helping more people really get a, a healthy, full perspective on the conversation. I'm going to come to language, which might seem small in the scheme of things, but I'm super curious about language because um, looking at Judy Singer's work bringing the neurodiversity movement, so to speak, to life in 1998, the word neurodivergent and um, there are different interpretations of, of the word and even reluctance to use the word. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit, because I value it so much, your perspective on language and how you would like to see it being used out there. There's terminology. Okay, so I've had people question me on terminology since day one. And, and what's really interesting is they question me no matter what I say and what I do. And this is the reality of nature and um, people mm. will disagree. Um, so I used to use the word neurodivergence until I was challenged directly by somebody to say that I shouldn't and why I shouldn't use it. Mm. Um, and, and therefore that made me very mindful. Um, the term um, divergent, for example, holds negative connotations for some, uh, and therefore they don't want to use it, right? Now, mm. they may choose to use a number of other words to be able to identify. I think for me, what it comes down to is um, words should not be used to hurt others. Um, and like that, that's all, all I really cared about. 
I'm mm. dyslexic. I don't properly fully understand words. I can't use grammar. I speak two languages, but I don't understand the grammar of both those languages. Mm. I failed at school, but I was very good at communication. So like the reality is, is there was some incredible work by uh, Mary Johnson, pioneered in the field of health uh, psychology. She's uh, emeritus professor at the University of Aberdeen. Um, and she did some work with young people um, on from a low socioeconomic background, because that aligned to her background, mm. on understanding social cues and, and the value that they put on social cues. And the reality is from a research is they put little value on social cues because there was little value in the community for these social cues. Yeah. So they didn't abide to these social cues. So you and I or anybody else could stand there and go, listen, you're talking to that person and they're showing you that they're not happy with what you're saying. Like that young person does not care. Now, what they did respond to is when instead of social cues, there was money involved in influencing because they understood the value of money because they came from a place where there was no money. Right. So, so like for me, what's really important is when we think about the world and the way that it's made up, right? We've got a, uh, the Mexican tetra blind fish, right? Over 20,000 years, the Mexican tetra first lost its sight and then it lost its eyes. Why? Because it was in a cave environment and it also you know, uh, had translucent skin. That took 20,000 years of evolution. Mm. Right? They also did something very, very fascinating, which is they developed clicks. And in the different caves, they developed different clicks, different clicking systems, forms of communication. Mm -hmm. So in the different caves, they were communicating in a different way. You take one cave out, one fish out of the other and put it in, they, the clicks won't resonate, they won't make the same. Right? If you think about global communication, right? Yeah. In the animal kingdom, they don't have words. They don't have grammar. Yeah. They're able to communicate. So yeah. for me, some people need to anchor on very specific words, grammar. I have an inability to do it because I'm dyslexic and because I didn't come from the privileged place of having a good education. Therefore, I still can't hold a pen and write properly. My 10-year-old daughter can spell better than me. So I'm not going to have somebody explain to me that I must um, communicate and engage in a way that they deem to be accurate because I'm going to communicate in a way that I understand, that I appreciate, that I connect with, in a way that connects with people who care about me. However, let, let me just throw this up in the air, right? Yesterday, or a couple of days ago, I created this video and I showed it to my wife. And my wife has two degrees, three masters. She is she top of the class in everything she did. She's academically brilliant. I still don't know why she's with me, right? Like I said, it was stars aligned, right moment in time. Um, something about me connected with her. Um, but she was looking at the video and the writing and it had eight. I'd, but I'd said it because I recorded the voice where I said, um, I ain't something or other. And she was like, oh, um, isn't in the, in, the, in the written text oh. that shows up on a video. Because she said, you know, if you're using it professionally, do you really want ain't? And I said to my wife, yes, but I said it. Yeah. Like I said it. That's what I said. Why should I change what I have said just for others to feel comfortable that grammatically it fits in? So even though actually my wife is the person I speak to most whenever somebody challenges me, I turn to her and I go, this is what they've said. This is what they think. Explain to me, what is your view in terms of my perception? And she will always give me the guidance to know whether I need to go back and say to that person, you know, you're right. Or whether actually what I choose to do now, Claire, is I just accept there is a difference of view and opinion yeah. and that I don't have the time when I'm trying to do all these other things. But exactly. Have yeah. this debate with somebody. I'm telling you, this debate, it, it just happens again, 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 where somebody's like, Theo, you must use neurodivergent. Theo, you're not right. And it's like, like I'm going to go and change the world in the way that I know. Yeah. I've not got the energy to have an argument with you over a word when... My life has been trying to explain why I can't say my name properly, why I can't spell properly. What, like, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm for that now. I wrote a 110,000 award-winning book, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. who else did that? So the, and it's difficult. I, I still wake up in the middle of the night struggling with this, Claire, but it, I have to move forward to my things that I do. So language is complex. 
Don't hurt anybody with the words you use. Accept that some people put greater value on it. I don't, uh, unless you're hurting somebody, and then I'm going to step in and I'm going to take control. Yeah. yeah, love it. I love that perspective. And it's interesting, yeah, because you have to choose where you're putting your energy. And there are bigger challenges. I'll tell you where I did challenge recently. And I'm curious whether this would rate as something I felt it might be damaging to the neurodivergent community. Um, there was somebody coming to talk to an organization around neurodiversity. And in the opening paragraph, it talked about symptoms of neurodiversity. And in the next line, it talked about therapy. And there hadn't been any other preface. And I thought, symptoms, therapy, I thought that's your opening to people who don't understand anything about neurodiversity as a whole, the topic. And I, and I, my invitation was, can we show some more care for people with, who consider themselves neuroatypical, neurodivergent, not, you know, in the spectrum of neurodiversity, which we all are. And it was changed. The, the copy was changed because I thought people are going to feel like I've just been othered in a place that I thought was safe. But Claire, the, the, yeah. the evidence, um, clinical evidence, the, um, uh, the academic evidence, um, the, the research that academics have written down that you can go and look at that are three, one or two years ago. Yeah. All that's in existence. And I've had people who studied PhDs in very narrow areas of the yeah. neurodiversity space, and they've uh, validated my experience, which is it's all negative. You, the only positive you hear, it's, and it's terrible. It's like, here's the 50 things that you're yeah. going to have an issue with. Yeah. It's autistic. And by the way, they might be a good developer or a good tester. My daughter, I very much doubt will be either of those. I am not and will never be either of those, right? So. Yeah. Like you're giving very little value to very nuanced niche areas. That is completely stripping away any ability. But the problem we have, Claire, is one, that information still exists everywhere. So yeah. if you're not you or me or somebody else who really gets deep and cares about it, you just go and scrape off the surface. Yeah. Or I'm going to go and do a talk on your diversity. You're going to scrape off a load of inaccurate stuff. Chat GPT, inaccurate stuff. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you, you, on, on the face of it, you're, you can evidence it in terms of this research, these academics, these clever people. But this stuff is already archaic. We've already moved significantly away from some of these concepts and ideas. But people are still perpetuating this. And this yeah. is why I'd say language, I'm not like, let's focus on what are we doing to support our fellow human beings? Yeah. What are we doing to elevate them? But the other thing we've got, so I need to mention this clear, which is people who've been surrounded, like whether you like two pedos, whatever, right? But people have been surrounded by kryptonite different, or, or needles or whatever horrible thing or fire or burning rooms or anything that is like the most horrible, intense space that some of us have been, right? That place where is is horrendous for us, right? When we put in those spaces for so long, it's really difficult not to keep putting ourselves in those places and spaces mm -hmm. and not to inadvertently surround ourselves by that kryptonite. Um, and therefore, because people have told us it's good for us, we spoon feed ourselves it, thinking that that's all we have and that we're all, the only thing we're able to have in life. And that when somebody comes along and says, you've got skills and capabilities, whoa, yeah. it's like that person's like, no, I've not. I've got a disability and that is all I cannot see beyond that. And we see the same with young people who get in a cycle of abuse and, and, and drugs and, and they can't get out of that. All they know in their life is that. And when you tell them there could be something else, unless you can physically take them out and show them and let yeah. them experience yeah, it. it. So yeah. still battling with that where people with ADHD or, or autistic going, no, 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 I am rubbish. Yeah. No, 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 I'm awful. No, I can't do anything because that's all I've ever known and all I've ever been. So don't come along and tell me I've got strengths. There's no way. So that's what we need to do better as a society to enable them to see yeah. what is there, but they may need some support to be able to develop the ability to see and experience what, what, what we know is possible. Well, and I think as, as someone who's in the space having the conversation, I love your optimism. I love your recognition of strengths. And that's what I demanded be in 
this invitation to come and understand neurodiversity. I'm like, you can't, you're throwing everybody under the bus from the get-go. I am not, I am not having any of that. Thank you very much. So speaking up for, for the positioning of the conversation, and this is someone who's going around and talking about this and educating people around it. I'm like, no, 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 hello, I got something to say here. So I was very happy that that's changed because I think that's going to hit probably hundreds, if not thousands of people. So little, little bits, right? So I, we're, we're just, boy, we chewed up this uh, time so beautifully. It's, it's, it's amazing. I want to come back to something we talked about in the pre-interview or just, just before we came on, sorry. And the fact that there's a bigger issue here, there's a bigger but a neurodiversity in the context of the world, in the economics, with the environment, with what's going on. And I wonder if you'd like to, before you tell everybody where to find you and all of that good stuff, I wonder if you would like to share something and I'll, I'll just let you have the floor to talk about you, what you observe and share your insights and wisdom here. Absolutely. So we talked about a Mexican Tetra. If we think about evolution and that kind of evolutionary process, think about this, right? It took the uh, it took the fish 20,000 years to lose its sight, to become competitively uh, advantageous within yes. a cave where there was no light, right? That helped it. Becoming blind helped it survive, right? So that evolutionary process was important for that fish, right? The human brain as we know it is like 200,000 years, right? The, the brain as it probably stands now, 200,000 years we start to develop the new modern brain. So 200,000 years, 20,000 years, right? The world we live in today is what? 100, 200, 300 years old. If we think about skyscrapers, we think about lights, we think about the advent of the internet, we think about artificial intelligence, we think about um, uh, powered vehicles through mm -hmm. um, petrol, fuel. We think about all these things, right? 100, mm -hmm. industrialization, we think about globalization. These things are modern concepts. The human brain is far older than anything that we now know in this modern society. And yes. we wonder why um, people who are autistic or ADHD or co-occurrence, more than one, we wonder why they struggle when there's only been one, two, three hundred years of opportunity for that brain to be able to adapt to what we now know. That brain has spent 200,000 years Autistic brain in many other instances is incredible, is wonderful. But now we put it in a chicken coop and we worry about it uh, mm -hmm. and wonder why it's struggling to perform in this very um, sterile environment. So for me, neurodiversity is far bigger than the, the concept of the human brain. It is actually about um, the, the, the world that we live in and, and the risk that we put at the planet when we eliminate certain brain types, certain thinking types out of society, yes. right? These people are going to challenge the status quo. These yeah. people are going to challenge politicians. Now, if we take them out, they are not going to, and people may see in a very particular way, it may be a narrow view, right? But that narrow view needs to be included in the conversation because if we don't, that is where we put the world at risk. And we need this in society. It's not just about the planet, but it's also about um, the way that we live and the future of the way that we live in this world. And we've got problems with politicians, we've got problems with health systems, we've got problems with wars. Like none of the, this is a critical problem at the moment. None of this is gonna be resolved unless we double down on neuroinclusion across all of those different environments. And that for me is one of the most important things from an activism pers uh, perspective and viewpoint. Like, yeah. But that needs to happen in all facets and aspects of life. We all have a part to play. We need it to happen academically. Need it to happen in politics. Need it to happen in business. It needs to happen in all areas because businesses influence far more than they should, but they do. Yeah. But we need to influence there as well. We all have a part to play. Boom. Uh, absolutely. We can't invite this valuable set of voices to burn out and opt out. We can't. It's a false choice. We need to redesign our world, urban design, um, shopping centers, um, the, the transit systems we work on, the education system. There's so much redesign needed to incorporate the, the variety of minds that are out there and really pay attention to the ones we're, we're just, we're extinguishing and inviting out. 
So Theo, uh, yes, exactly. Um, tell everyone, listeners here, because I'm sure you've been listening to Theo's words, you can hear his insight, his conviction, this combination of insight and being able to speak articulately about it. Theo, what a gift you have. How can people find you and follow you? I know I follow you on LinkedIn um, all the time. Um, where else can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Theo Smith UK. If you put Theo Smith UK in your diversity, you'll find me on, on the social channel. So you'll find me on Twitter. You'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me on um, Instagram and also um, on LinkedIn, especially is, is where I have a lot of advocacy um, and where I share a lot of content and information. Mm -hmm. And a fri Friday newsletter. <laughs> Friday newsletter, which yeah. is actually a combination of all the stuff that I shared to try and have value. And that's what I call out people. So for me, it's about providing a platform for others as well. So the newsletter, I always highlight some of the important comments. And they're not the comments that I just like most They're the ones yeah. that are further in the conversation. So yeah. the whole point of newsletter is I'm, I'm sending stuff out to help or my view or my ideas. And then people are commenting back. And then I'm utilizing that to try and help others make sense of topics because I do not hold the key to this. We hold the key to this. Mm. And, uh, and you know, that bit of our languages, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever, whatever it is that helps you um, live the life that you need to live and support others, yeah, that's the path that you need to take. So there's that. And Amanda and I now do a LinkedIn live that goes across all other platforms, a UK time, 10 AM every Friday. And again, that is to talk to people in the community to get them engaging and talking on the key topics that yeah. often we don't talk enough about in the round. Yeah, brilliant. So you heard it here. Go find Theo. Uh, tune in. If you can make that UK one, I would I would be sleeping around that time, but I'm dying to join you for a cup of tea at some point. <laughs> if I'm ever coming over, I'm, I'm going to look you up for sure. We'll disrupt it and we'll do a later time at some point and maybe shift them around so that other parts of the world can... Uh, and get yeah. involved as well for sure yeah fantastic thanks so much for being part of this theo it's been great to have you lovely thank you really appreciate it thank you so much for listening you can find all of the happy space podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com I love learning what resonates with you, so please leave a comment about this episode over social media, or even better, post a review wherever you tune in. And if you have an idea for a topic to explore or an inclusive action to celebrate, I would love to know more about it. It might even appear in an upcoming episode or an issue of the Happy Space newsletter. Please help me spread the word about people doing great things. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space? 